name in the picture, so-and-so, he's one of our, we're really excited, he's on the team, da-da-da-da. And then he finishes and steps off the stage and somebody else comes up and, and, and starts talking and my table's kind of talking. They're like, they didn't call your name. What, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea. And then, of course, somebody, you know, politely goes up there, whispers in his ear and he runs back on stage. Oh, Tyler Durham, he, he's one of my favorite players. <laughs> I am so, and we're all just like, yeah, whatever, dude, you know. And so in that moment... How do you think I felt? I mean, I felt like everyone was looking at me and everyone was on the inside and I was on the outside. I felt ostracized. I felt alienated from everyone else. It was a bad feeling that night. Sadly, in a lot of churches and ministries in the United States, people come into the churches and when they walk in those doors, they feel ostracized, they feel left out and they feel not included in what is going on. Happens all over the country. The people of God, those who've been redeemed by Jesus Christ because of His mercy and His kindness and His grace to sinners like us, see people walk through the door and because they don't look like us, because they don't have the same social status or because of the things that they wear or because of the sins that you know that they've committed in their life, they're not welcome into the group. They're left out. They're alienated. They're ostracized. Happens all over the country. In churches all over the country, in all denominations, I hear it over and over again that, that churches have cliques and that people get left out and people get alienated. The Apostle Paul will see in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to start turning there, Ephesians chapter 2, dealt with these same issues with the church in Ephesus. It's called a letter to the Ephesians. It's towards the end of your Bible, right before Philippians, right after Galatians. But Paul is dealing with this same issue in Ephesus. The Gentile believers are alienating the Jewish believers. And the Jewish believers are alienating the Gentile believers. There's divisions, there's cliques, there's factions in the church in Ephesus. And so Paul wrote this letter to that church. And the main theme of this letter is unity. That's what Paul talks about throughout this letter is unity. And what I want you to see tonight from this passage is that if, if Renovate is truly going to be a gospel-centered community, which we have up on our vision statement up on that wall, a gospel-centered community, we want to see lives renovated through gospel-centered community. If we're truly going to be a gospel-centered community, then we must be inclusive not cliquish. We must unify, not divide, and we must seek reconciliation, not alienation. That's what this ministry has got to be about. If we want to see people who are lost come to Christ and have their lives renovated. And so I want to read starting in verse 11 in chapter 2, and y'all follow along with me. It's going to be till verse 22, so hang in there with me. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and, he, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If we're truly going to be a gospel-centered community, then we must remember where we came from, which is the first part of what Paul's talking about here. And so what, what I mean by where we came from, what, what is this previous condition that all of us were in before we met Christ? Where, where did we come from? And Paul tells us, we're going to rewind just a little bit to verse 1 of chapter 2. And Paul says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he goes on to say in verse 3 that you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a scary place to be. What Paul is saying is that you are separated from God before Christ. And so he's, he's talking to a group of Gentiles who didn't have, which we're going to talk about in a second, the things that the Jews had. And before they met Christ, they were alienated from the things of God. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. They were, by nature, children of wrath, doing the things that their flesh told them to do. They were apart from God. And so Paul is saying to the believers in Ephesus, don't forget that this is who you once were before you met Christ. And I'm going to tell you why that's important in a second. But he also says, back to our section, verse 11, that we're separated from God's people. And so in verse 11 he says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And he goes on and on and on. Before Christ died on the cross, there was only one people of God. And who was that people? It was, it was the Jews. It was the Israelites. And so before Jesus came to earth, the people of God were the Israelites. And if you were not an Israelite, you were not a part of the plan of God. And so Paul goes into these different... Um, ways that the Gentiles were separated from the Jews. But before we get into that, I, I just want to look at verse 11. He says, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh and called the uncircumcision. That was not a nice thing to be called back then. The Jews called them that. The Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. In fact, one commentator said that the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created... I'm sorry, the Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. 
It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, which means her pregnancy, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. Now, I don't know if you all have heard recently, but I read a news story about um, a young lady in Pakistan. She married a Christian man in Pakistan, and her dad and her brothers dragged her into the town square in this Pakistani town and stoned her to death because she was connected to a Christian. So when, as we're reading this passage, as you see this contrast between the Gentiles and the Jews, realize that this is a divide that... that that is the worst divide you could ever imagine. I mean, this is like the Jews and the Muslims today and the Muslims and the Christians. This was a severe divide. And Paul is saying, remember who you were before you met Christ. And so with that in mind, Paul gives five ways that the Gentiles were separated from the Jews. And I'm just going to run through them real quick. They're in verse 12. Um, Paul says, at one time the Gentiles in the flesh which was made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise. The covenants of promise were just the covenant that God made with Abraham in the Old Testament. The Gentiles didn't have access to that covenant, having no hope and without God in the world. They were Christless, excluded from citizenship in the kingdom of God, alien to the covenants of promise, Hopeless and godless. It's a terrible place to be separated from God and His people. A few months ago, I watched a movie called Gravity. Y'all ever seen the movie Gravity? I watched it with my wife in the theaters. And pretty cool movie. I got to be honest with you, at the end of the movie, for the next couple days, I was kind of distraught thinking about space. Like that movie really made me think, man, space is a scary place. Um, Especially with George Clooney. There was a scene in the, yeah with George Clooney in space. It's a real scary place. No, his his character in the movie. There was a point in the movie where he was connected by a cord to the space station, and something happened. A, a meteorite or something hit it, and and it was just mass chaos. And he broke away from the space station. And I remember that scene. Sandra Bullock's character was still connected, and slowly George Clooney was moving away from the space station. Do y'all remember that scene? Who's seen the movie? Yeah, it was crazy. And I remember watching that just thinking, how awful, how quick would I take my helmet off to just make that thing in? You know, of course, in the movie, he's singing and acting. Nobody would be singing in that situation. But he, he's, he's drifting away from everything. He's completely isolated and separated from everything. And as I watched that movie and thought about this man, this human being who is detached from his world, detached from any known human being, and just floating out in nothingness, he was completely separated. And what Paul's saying in this passage is that before you met Christ, Gentiles, that's us, you were completely separated from God and His people. Think about that. Children of wrath, friends of the enemy of God, by nature children of wrath, separated from God. Even though Paul is talking to believers in the first century, 
in a Gentile Jew context, it is no different for us. Many of you here tonight are living with this separation from God and His people. You show up at events like this, you maybe have grown up in the church, but inwardly, in your heart, you are disconnected from God and His people. You're on the outside. And I'm telling you tonight, that is not a place you want to be. In many of you that are in that place, you try to find a million different things to kind of drown out the thought of being separated from God. And it, it, it might be just going out and partying and having a good time and, and you don't want to sit around in your room and think about the fact that you're not right with God and you're not right with God's people. So you just go, stay active, do things. Don't like to be by yourself because that forces you to think about your condition right now. So for some of you, it's, it's, it's drinking. It's some kind of substance abuse that just drowns out the pain of the fact that you're not feeling this joy and peace in your life and you're not right with God. And some of you, it's, it's finding the girlfriend or the boyfriend. If I can just focus all my energy and all my thoughts on them, maybe it'll drown out the fact that I'm separated from God and His people. And I'm telling you tonight that you, you don't have to live separated from God and His people. You don't have to live drifting along in this world by yourself. Through Jesus Christ, you can be brought back in to the family of God. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I think probably most of you in this room have that relationship with Christ, like these Ephesian believers, but you've completely forgot what you used to be. And so because you've completely forgot who you used to be before Christ, you no longer have the ability to connect with people who are in the world and struggling or connect with people who are different and, and really aren't where you are in your walk with Christ. And so you're not able to connect with people that are different than you. You stay safe. You stay with your little group of people that act like you and dress like you and think like you. And you're not able to connect with people who are way out there because you've forgotten that at one point in your life you were way out there too. And so I think tonight God is calling you back to the reality that at one point in your life you were separated from God, dead in your trespasses and sin. And so if we're going to create this gospel-centered community where people who are broken and messed up and, and dealing with serious sin and serious things in life that are looking for hope, looking for life, we have to remember that we were once like that. We cannot forget that. But not only that, we have to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us to take us out of that. And so what, what has Jesus done? He says in verse 13, if you look back in your Bibles, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so he's reconciled us to God, Jesus has, through his death on the cross. So those who were separated from God and the people of God have been brought near through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite passages, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So those who were once alienated from God have been brought into the fold. But not only that, he's reconciled us to God through abolishing the, the Old Testament law. And I'm just going to spend a, a brief amount of time here. If you'll look at verse 15, he says, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances... What he means there, and we talked about this last week, is we had the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. 
And if you remember, if you've read your Old Testament, um, the Jews, the nation of Israel, had all kinds of ceremonial laws. They had the sacrifices to atone for sin. They had the high priest that would go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and all these rituals and ordinances and rules. And what Paul is saying is when Christ came and died on the cross, all of those things that were a part of the Old Testament have been completed in Jesus Christ on the cross. So now Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, so we don't have to make more sacrifices. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the new Israel, the new man. And so Jesus has fulfilled the law. We no longer have to worry about the law. And so if you remember when Jesus died on the cross in the temple, the curtain broke. You remember it tore right down the middle. And what that was symbolizing is that when Jesus died, the Old Testament way of doing things was over and the new covenant was now here. And so there's no longer a separation between people. We're all one, which is what he says next. We're reconciled to God through our union with Christ. In verse 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So in Jesus Christ, we are all one new man. So I don't care if you're from... Africa, or if you grew up a, a Jewish person in Israel, or if you're black or white, female, male, we are all one in Christ if you've put your trust in Him. And so that's why it's so crazy to think about the fact that when people come into the church or to our ministries and they're ostracized, we've forgotten what Jesus has done for us. He's brought us all into one body. Paul says in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we are united to Christ by faith, we become one with Christ and His people. And so there's a great story. I'm, I'm a church history major, and so I love history, but John Newton. Have any of y'all heard of John Newton? Okay, nobody. Cool. So this is a teaching. Okay, thank you. We got one. Great. Maybe we should have a church history class here at Christ Chapel. Um, have, hey, how about this? Have any of y'all heard of Amazing Grace? Okay, thank you. Well, he wrote Amazing Grace. But the crazy thing about John Newton is that before he met Christ, he was a um, slave ship. Um, he was the captain of a slave ship. He was a slaveholder. He, he grew up in a Christian home and he rebelled against that and he went out. His dad was a merchant and by the age of 11 he was out on ships at sea and he became a slaveholder, a captain of a ship that, that um, brought slaves from Africa to England in his former life. Um, he talks about the things in, in one of his biographies. It's, it's shocking the things that he experienced. But on a voyage back to England... One night there was a severe storm and in, in that moment when he was the captain of that ship in the storm, a flashback of all the things that his mom taught him when he was a kid just came rushing back. And in that moment he gave his life to Jesus Christ and, and sadly he stayed in the slave industry for a while after that. And eventually his conscience was so bothered and he was so horrified at the things that he had done and what he had seen that he left it completely. Now the reason I tell you this story is because later on, after he became a pastor, he met a man named William Wilberforce. And he was a politician in England. And when he became a Christian, he thought, well, the natural thing to do is to leave politics and become a pastor. And so he went to his pastor, John Newton, and said, hey, 
um, I really think that I need to leave politics and be a pastor because I've given my life to Christ. And John Newton, to his credit, said, No, stay where you are and be a Christian politician and make a difference in Parliament in England. And so William Wilberforce's two great aims in life were the suppression of the slave trade and the reformation of morals. And so because of John Newton's past, he was able to use that to write a a pamphlet about the things that he experienced and to testify before the um, House of Commons in England. And because of his help, William Wilberforce helped abolish the slave trade in 1833 in England. And the reason I bring that up is because what John Newton didn't do was forget about who he was before Christ. And what John Newton didn't do is forget about who he was in Christ and what Christ had done for him. And so on his deathbed, Newton said, There's two things I know, that I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. That I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. This was a man who remembered what he had been, but also remembered what Christ had done. And as a result, the rest of his life was about reconciling people, not dividing people. And so what about you? The the gospel that you say you trust in, this gospel of reconciliation, this message that God has given us, are you sharing that message by the way that you live and by the words that you speak? Are you someone who brings people together and includes people? Or are you someone that breaks people apart and divides people? That's the question. When you really understand what Christ has done in your heart, it changes you. And it changes your attitude towards others. And it will be amazing what this ministry can do if a group of us really understand what Christ has done for us. And don't forget what what we were in the past, how we treat other people. And so finally... How do we become a gospel-centered community? We must remember what we have now become. And so real quickly, there's three metaphors that Paul gives in verses 19 and 20. He says we've become God's city. He says we've become God's household. And he says we've become God's building. And I want to close by focusing on that section about God's building. Verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, Listen to this, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so we've become God's building. And the foundation, he says, are the apostles and prophets. And what that means is, he's talking about the New Testament apostles, the disciples of Jesus who went out and spread the message and those who, who were prophets speaking the word of God, what Paul is talking about is the foundation of this building, which we see on the screen as an example. This foundation that our building, the church is built on, is the New Testament. The word of God is our foundation, is what Paul is saying right here. And so as a ministry, we have to build our ministry on the word of God. But he also says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And what's interesting is that today the, the, this idea of cornerstone is not what it meant in the ancient world. And so on the screen you see um, a cornerstone. And what normally happens is you build a building and then at the dedication you put this cornerstone into the slot with uh, you know, commemorating somebody and it's at the end of the process. But in the ancient world the cornerstone was the very first stone that was put down. 
And what that cornerstone did was it determined how all the other stones were built. It set the structure. It set the guidelines. It was the first and most important stone that was laid. And then all the other stones were laid on top of the cornerstone. It held it all together. Which Paul says here, in whom the whole structure being joined together. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone for the church. And so just to paint a picture... What I'm talking about here is a gospel-centered community is built on the foundation of the Word of God and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that everything is built on. And as we lift up Jesus Christ and as we preach Jesus Christ and as we sing about Jesus Christ and as we remember what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts and lives, we begin to not divide people but bring people in. We begin to see people come in that maybe aren't like us or maybe don't look like us or maybe have different experiences and we don't push them out. We bring them in because of what Christ has done for us. This is how the church is unified. And so to close, um, the next slide is Herod's temple. And so the last verse in this passage, it says, In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so ever since the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God dwelt in the temple. And so the high priest had to come into the temple and on behalf of the people and atone for sins. And there was this whole process and Jews couldn't even get close to going in the temple. That temple was a dividing line and the Jews saw that as the most important thing because that's where God dwelled. Well, in the city of Ephesus, they had a different temple. It was called the Temple of Artemis. And she was a goddess that they worshipped. And this was the largest building in, in the known world at that time. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. And everybody knew Ephesus for the, the god that they worshipped. And so the, the minds of the Gentiles were that, that meaning and purpose and safety and blessings came from that building. Where the goddess of Artemis dwelt. And so you have the Jews and the Gentiles looking at these buildings to find their hope and their meaning and their God. And what Paul says to conclude this passage is that in Jesus you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Those of us who are in Christ are the temple of God. God's Spirit has come to dwell in us and collectively as a church worldwide we are the temple of God that God is building up. And so here at Renovate we are just a small piece to that puzzle. We're just a little piece to that puzzle. But as we understand who we once were and what Christ has done and who we now are, the temple of God, I believe it's going to create a community where we're inclusive, not cliquish, where we're unified and not divided, and where God and Jesus Christ are glorified above all things. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that in Jesus Christ you have brought a new people together, a new humanity. No longer are we divided. No longer do we have different cliques within the body of Christ. We're all one in Jesus Christ. We've all been forgiven. We've all been cleansed. We've all been given new life. And you've given us a message of reconciliation to share that with the world. And so Lord, I pray that this group of people in this room would would understand the message that you've given us and that we would seek to reconcile um, as we share this message and seek to reach our city. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.